Hi, my name is Dave Farley and welcome to the Engineering Room. If you haven't been here before, do hit subscribe. And if you enjoy the content today, hit like as well. Do join in the conversation too and let us know your thoughts and ideas in the comments below. The Engineering Room is an occasional series and is meant as an addition to the more usual content on the Continuous Delivery Channel. These are longer form conversations with some influential and thoughtful people from our industry. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Kevlin Henney. I first came across Kevlin at a conference in Australia many years ago, although we're both English. He gave, the talk, he gave several talks at that conference, including a keynote, which was funny, unexpected, educational, and brilliantly well presented. Over the years, I've come to expect nothing less than that from Kevlin, that's his norm. As I started talking more frequently at conferences, our paths crossed more often and we became friends. Kevlin is an independent software development consultant, trainer, speaker and writer. The people who work with Kevlin always speak very highly of his services. He's witty, nerdy, sorry Kevlin, and smart. He also has a Google unique name. Try it, you'll only get Kevlin. And rather strangely, among the Cognicenti, if you ever see an obvious public software failure, a screen in an airport showing a command line or an advert in a store showing the blue screen of death, it's called a Kevlin Henning. But no doubt we'll get to that. <laughs> Welcome, Kevlin. Did I miss anything important? No, thank you very much, Dave. That's the, that's, that, that's the, that's the perfect introduction. I'm going to copy and paste that. <laughs> great thanks well I've, I've been looking forward to this this talk for a little while the last time we met was in copenhagen at a go-to conference and uh my wife and and family um took the mickey out of me for the rest of the conference because you and i every time we crossed we spent all of the time talking <laughs> rapidly yeah. in great detail uh, yeah because we was, seen it, each other for a while that was what and the, but the funny thing is the the way that coincidences worked out is that pretty much the moment I arrived in the hotel you and family were there and I bumped into everybody including your son and daughter-in-law at the airport when I left I was crossed quite a lot there so yeah plenty to talk about uh, plenty to catch up on cool so um so let's let's start with that production failure being called Kevlin Henney I think I know the answer to this but tell us how that happens yeah well so it's one of the things I guess it's you know if you're if you're in software if there's something you're really into you, you become sensitive to things you start spotting things and I, I was always fascinated by the fact that you know see occasional failures in places you occasionally see um, a cash machine booting up and stuff like that you kind of notice this stuff it makes you ask questions about it but then we hit the um, then we hit the kind of like um, uh, cameras on phones era and at that point, suddenly it's like I'm walking everywhere I'm walking, I have a camera. And you know, the, the amount of software that we actually have everywhere is huge. So I'm starting to take pictures of these things. I'm also taking screenshots whenever something crashes. Um, particularly if it's just losing my work, I'll take a screenshot <laughs> and hold on to that. Cause I, th I think it's fascinating because it's kind of like, okay, what it's it, it's often frustrating but it's fascinating it's just like okay i mean this is my space i'm in software the, collectively we somehow created this um uh, and I, i'm fond of noting that we as in software development are the largest creators of a kind of guerrilla installation art on the planet nobody else comes <laughs> close you know it's, um but i used to kind of collect these and occasionally i kind of put them in talks um or when running a workshop or training course i kind of have them on on my screen just like uh, uh, as a screensaver in the in the breaks 
um, always causes conversation. And I always pointed out, oh, this is really interesting because in um, in failure, when something fails, you learn about some you learn something about how it was constructed. You know, it's kind of like at that moment you lose all the encapsulation. You're you're presented with something when it works that is beautiful and pristine and pixel perfect and it offers some kind of user experience. And maybe you, maybe you can guess the technology, but most of the time you can't. And then it's like you drop something on the floor and it fractures. And it's just like, oh, look, this bit's made of C sharp or oh, they're using <laughs> that as part of their stack or I'm pretty sure that's out of support now or whatever it is. You see it, it loses its encapsulation. It loses that kind of like surface um, and we see the insides. And if it doesn't tell us directly how it was built, it's it kind of it invites questions. It makes you go, oh, I wonder what, well, how did this arise? Did they forget to put a try block here? Did they forget, you know, how did this exception escape to the user? Um, but, you know, I, I just did that kind of as a point of fun, as a point of personal interest and point of showing people. And then people started sending me these things by email. Um, and then we hit social media era. People start sharing it more directly. And then it's Twitter and people are just like <laughs> posting it and just adding me. Then I start retweeting it, um, and then that's how, that's where the that's where it acquired its name, and it actually made its way into Urban Dictionary, the Register, and a bunch of other things. Um, <laughs> it, so, uh, so yeah, it's it's just one of those things. And the incidental side effect is it it is one. It's interesting. I find I, it's still fascinating. I think there's a kind of a humor to it, as well as a serious point to be made in all of these things. Um, but it also ends up being an accidental service because sometimes you're talking about you know. Uh, uh, rail services and train stations and things like that and often people will at the train company as well wherever they yeah. are in the world and you know you can tell what the customer service is like because often they'll go oh you know instantly jump on that and say which station was this i'm really sorry this happened or there'll be just silence and so you can kind of tell <laughs> you get a sense of the customer experience as well uh, as the failure experience <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. So, so, so kind of the archaeology of failure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, that's that's great. That's, I, I often think that we we kind of we don't. Well, I, I don't think just think. I know we don't think too much about the fail, fail, failure routes so often. Yeah. There's I, 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 one of my favourite um, quotable bits of uh, research was a Usenix survey from a few years ago that looked into the cause of production failures and something like 60% um, of production failures are in the error handling path. The, the most common line of code in the event of a production failure is a comment saying should should do some exception handling here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, that, and that, that's a really interesting because that one, I, if it's the if it's if it's the one I'm thinking of, that was 2014 paper. Yeah. But, it, it, but there's probably been others. But I think I first came across that somebody did a, a study, the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, I really can't. I, unfortunately, I can't cite it. I can't remember who it was. Um, but they did an analysis of of failures in the Linux kernel, and they said it's mostly on the error paths. Yeah. You know, the the the, the dark alleyways that just don't get explored yeah. and tested anywhere near as often. You know, Happy Day works out fine, but these little edge cases. Um, something goes wrong and then either it was just like this was to do or yeah. somebody had an idea of like well yeah. it should be something like this but it was never really tested um and it kind of got marginalized in their in, in their memory and and now you know control flows wandering down this dark path that's been untested to deal with a really bad situation and the situation gets worse you know it's, it's one of those things and that 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 seems to be a recurring theme that uh 
these edge cases it's kind of you know they, they, they when you're at the edge case so it's not an edge case anymore it's it's your world yeah um, yeah yeah uh, yeah it's, it's one one of the things one of the things that I, I did some research for um my book uh, into the kind of history of software engineering and, and of course margaret hamilton was a huge yeah you know uh, uh heroine in 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 that in that field at the, in the early days of that and one of the things that i loved that she, that she went on about was talking about the importance of the systems that she was working on the flight control systems for for the apollo missions uh, being man rated and so the reason why she coined the term software engineering was to because they were spending all of their time worrying about how things could go wrong, like like engineers do. If, you know, you don't build a bridge and just you only worry about the happy days. You worry about when there's a storm yeah. or when the load's too heavy or all of those kinds of things too. And and we we, we need to be thinking the same for building you know serious yeah. software systems. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of the stories around Margaret Hamilton are absolutely brilliant. I mean, the fact that you know there's one where she brought her daughter into work, you know, um, uh, one day and. <laughs> daughter recreated an error or created an error condition just by messing about with it putting yeah. it into a state you know it's just like you know cats and children think, think, yeah. and, and, and you know and 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 other cases where you know oh these you know they're, they're kind of the classic um certain machisma associated with the fact that at that point all astronauts would have been um air force pilots um and the the, the culture and image that went with that is like oh these are highly trained people um, and and you know, they won't make mistakes like that and then probably one of them does and, uh, and yeah. it's just like they go back to her it's like yeah they, let's do that let's put that yeah. failure hand in there. <laughs> because it doesn't matter that they're highly trained the most the, the operative word in that sentence is people um yes <laughs> it's, uh, you know, high, high, highly trained gets you so far but you're still ultimately human and i think that that and one of the other points that i read that Margaret Hamilton uh, talked about it. she was trying to get really get a seat at the table as it were yeah. because you certainly at that era um this whole idea that software could form a viable meaningful first-class component mm. of a system as opposed to just a secondary um component was that was completely a foreign concept um and uh you know there were even astronauts saying well we don't think we're going to need software we don't actually need software to land on the moon and yeah. You know, it's, it's to, to to anybody who's either studied the, the the physics of it or is familiar with any of the any of the modern stuff around this. It's just like, yeah, you can't just fly by the seat of your pants and that's going to work out. You you need this stuff, yeah. and so she wanted that seat at the table. Just, you know, engineering was the term that she she chose. You know, we got we got to, we got to treat this in that sense. It's it's up there with all the others because this is not just this is not just icing on the cake. This is not just this is not just a glorified slide rule. There's something deeper and more fundamental here. We're talking about control systems and, uh, yeah. and uh, the data that is at genuinely life critical. You know, this is yeah. not just a slide rule. Um, this is beyond that. It's the idea of uh, it's not just a calculator, whereas I think many people thought of this as just an extension of the calculator. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I, uh, um, uh, a br brilliant woman and, and, and a real pioneer in our field, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think that that's one of the things that I found with, because um, because one of the other things that is we, we have this term engineering that kind of took off from different points, and I, I, I've I've seen it misattributed. Um, uh, so I've I've seen things where people said, "Oh, the NATO sponsored 
1968 software engineering conference was the yeah. beginning coined the term. It's like, no, 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 no. They used the term because it was already around. Um, you know, Margaret Hamilton initiated that. I think I, I stumbled across a bit in communication of the ACM that it was used as a term in 1966 mm-hmm. in there. And in other words, there's a kind of a lineage. So by the time yes. the conference came around, um, it, 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 this term was currency um, yeah. and uh, it, it existed. And, um, and that was trying to try and say, well, what does this look like if it's for software? It's, you know, but I love some of the, in, you know, I did, I did um, uh, I know you looked at it for your book and I, I did it for, I did a whole load of talks um, in 2018 because it was 50 years on. So I thought yeah. I, I did a series talk 1968. Um, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go and read, I'm going to actually go and read end to end the whole proceedings um, and, uh, and also look at, uh, look at the 1969 one as well. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, it, it, it do that, and I did that a couple of years beforehand, and I found it absolutely fascinating because one, it's a it's an amazing historical document, yes. um, capturing uh, some really interesting insights. But also, there was a real sense there. One of the things is, you know, some of it is incredibly dated um, mm-hmm. because you know it does date because they're they're talking about te- technical constraints and concepts from the sixties. But at other times, it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, it's not that you agreed on everything, but all of the ideas that we now debate and uh, and push forward were present. They were they were there. They yes, were yeah, and, and 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 problems that those people were facing in building yeah. real real systems, even though the computers that they were building them for are all in museums now. You know, it's yes, it's, yeah. it's, it's 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 one of my one of the things that got me interested in kind of. Uh, talking about engineering in in my book and stuff was that uh, you know I I think that we discard some of those really durable ideas too readily yeah that there are yeah. things at the heart of our profession I think the most important things about our profession that are that haven't changed since the 1960s and and as you said you know I, I had hair standing up on the back of my me- my my neck when I was reading stuff by by Alan Perlis. Yeah. describing in language that sounded quite dated in many words, his choice of words sounded like somebody from the 1960s, yeah. but nevertheless, he was expressing ideas that would, that still too many software development teams don't even think about doing to their detriment. Yeah. 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 Uh, and <laughs> crazy. Yeah. And I think there's, a, there's some really interesting things in there about, you know that a lot was up for discussion but also sometimes some of the discussions were that they're talking like old hands you know they're talking about oh yes 10 years like it's a really bad thing (laughs) so so the fascinating thing about doing this talk 50 years later is just like well they thought they were it was old hat when they did it 10 years in we're half a century on how are we doing here you know and you know there's some really um really interesting things so from my my perspective one of the things i'm very interested in is, is testing and Interestingly, before reading that, I had kind of presumed that unit testing as a mm-hmm. as a term, I kind of I'd, I kind of dated that to the nineteen seventies. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'd found you know I'd, I, I hadn't tried, I hadn't I hadn't really pursued it back in time, but nineteen seventies was what I had in my mind based on what I'd read, and I thought oh, you know, that would that would be terminology. But you, I look at the software engineering, um, look at the software engineering uh, uh, proceedings, and there it is. The term unit testing is there without qualificational definition. In other words, it's not yeah. presented as here as a new idea. It's presented as oh, okay. Assume everybody <laughs> knows about it. To it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was really interesting um, just looking at certain ideas like that, um, as well as some other um, uh, historical 
um, uh, kind of foreshadowings. Um, uh, so a number of years ago, I uh, was quite heavily involved in the patents community. Um, uh, there are a number of um, elements in the patents community that, uh, and patents thinking, which I think have been hugely neglected for me. One of the most, the real turn-ons with the whole idea of really understanding this is a pattern. It is not a, it's not a principle. It is not a universal. Here is an idea. And you know what? Sometimes this, this works in some cases and not in others. And here's why. And people often yeah. miss that. They kind of, kind of latched onto the surface as it were, but not really understood the depth. And for me, the, the huge, uh, the huge influence was the trade-offs, understand the trade-offs here. Yes. It's just like, ah, here we go. Um, here is, here is why this works well here, but doesn't over here. The context dependence of the idea was absolutely huge. So rather than talking about um, software from the perspective of um, mathematics in which, which is a time, which is timeless and universal and the rest of it, here was something that was, hugely dependent on well I, I can't tell you what's right <laughs> you know somebody says is this the right way or is this wrong it's just like well you know it's going to be that it depends and that's not because I'm being a consultant it's because genuinely there are about three or four different ways of doing this yeah you've got to show me the landscape you know um you've got to show me the landscape that you're going to you're going to put this into um my answer will be different if you're dealing with a legacy system perhaps than with a, a modern system it'll vary from language to language um uh, depending on certain elements but there might be you know broader ideas that are still stable but you know there are if you say oh this is in a multi-threaded environment then i might retract my previous answer and go hey actually we're going to take a different path here yeah um and it's the contextuality and understanding the trade-offs um for me that was really exciting now the, the we we tend to uh, for a lot of people they tend to credit um uh, uh, the gang of four um uh, gamma helm johnson Placides with the pattern stuff now certainly that initially turned me on but even before the book was published i'd heard about this stuff mm -hmm. but it was this other stuff that was going on it's like this comes from architecture this doesn't get yes. some software this comes from architecture and christopher alexander kind of originated this idea and it's this whole idea of he was really big on the idea of you've got to have an empirical design in other words he was trying to move um he was trying to move yeah building architecture away from fashion, um, you know, yes. uh, <laughs> uh, which is something I think we get plagued with in software as well. He was trying to say, well, look, there's an empirical solution to this. Does it work? You know, here are the qualities that make something work. Um, you know, have you defined your problem? You know, does this solve the problem of living or whatever context he was looking at? And he was very clear, he used the language of empiricism all the way through. Um, this is not to say there were no artistic qualities to it, but I was always fascinated. And his writing style, again, it captures the time. It's 1970. So I started reading all the Christopher Alexander stuff. And then you eventually hear another book by Christopher Alexander, Notes on the Synthesis of Form, which was published in 1964. And I had a vague awareness that this had a big influence on a lot of disciplines at the time. Mm -hmm. But rereading reading the 1968 NATO software engineering um, uh, proceedings it was fascinating because they kept referring to Christopher Alexander, but this predates his patterns work. It was all yeah. synthesis to form about how he thought about design in terms of balance and trade-offs and, and, you know, sort of isolating systems of change from one another and all the rest of it. Hugely, hugely influential, um, uh, but kind of, kind of forgotten that, that kind of got buried there. So this kind of, there's this little capsule into the kind of like um, the, the kind of the zeitgeist of the sixties and design thinking and all this kind of stuff. Conway gets mentioned, uh, Melvin Conway and uh, this influence on architecture of like, you know what, 
the way that your people communicate is going to have a huge yeah. exert a force on the structure that you build. How you communicate is going to is going to influence that because this is not maths. This is we're creating a thing and and our choice of creation is going to be influenced by how we talk to one another um and there again this gets multiple references throughout the uh, software engineering proceedings which i found and and I, I, I think i think i think that's i think that's that's deeply entwined in terms in terms embedded really in in, in what engineering really means like, i i must confess i you know I'm I I love maths. So I, I I enjoy I actively enjoy maths and sometimes mm. do math solve mathematical problems as a hobby, you know. But I don't think that what we do is maths. I don't I don't, I don't it's it's it appeals to mathematical thinkers. Mm. But one of the differences between engineering and maths is that engineering has that pragmatic bent. You know, so yeah. if if you could simulate an aeroplane the design of an aeroplane and wholly do that you know in a simulated form and just build the aeroplane and then take passengers you know people would do that but they don't yeah. they they do yeah. that and then they go flying and certainly if you're boeing i don't know whether i don't know whether they still do it but certainly for a very long time the engineers that built the aeroplane were amongst the first passengers after the test test pilot went up to go for a ride in the aeroplane that, that that they designed so there's 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 this thing of of you know trying stuff out and i think that's one of the principles that i get a little frustrated sometimes with people talking about you know the mathematical nature of programming it's interesting it's fascinating i like mm. i like thinking in those sorts of terms but i don't think that's enough because i think it's usually harder to be able to write something that's you know a provable system than it than it is to write the system in the first place and so you're more it's it's almost more error prone so you know it's it, it's it's a complex problem i i was i was just listening to the radio uh, um uh, today uh, about uh, actually i was listening to a podcast from new scientists and they were saying they the um they've just rejected one of the quantum uh, the supposedly quantum computing proof um, oh. Encryption algorithms because somebody managed to break it on their laptop. <laughs> 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 and you'd you'd think that'd be a fairly mathematical kind of yeah. <laughs> you know, area of software. So so, yeah. so so when we're building flight control systems or, um, or or car control systems or even your stock control systems, you know, there's yeah. for all those human errors and mistakes. Yeah. And, and 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 you know Margaret Hamilton's little girl to come in and and screw it up in, in new and interesting ways. And I think that I think that's a really important thing because it, it's it's because this kind of whole point about um, kind of perspectives of when we look at things, uh, how do we reason about them, um, and that the it's a distinction I made a number of years ago. So that you know, software there are lots of elements of it that are mathematical but are not the same as math, you know, but not mathematics. Yeah. In other words, yeah. There's a distinction there. Um, so engineering is not mathematics, but it is mathematical. In other words, it draws yes. very heavily, it uses it as a tool, and that tool can also give us further insights, but they yes. are not an equivalence. There's not, you know, and that's and that's a really important distinction. And that idea of um, yes, but when I throw it, does it stick? You know, that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. is the real thing. When, when we actually, you know, yeah, sure, this works in the simulation. Um, um, but it, it's uh, you know, it's it's um uh, it's this um it's like let's let's take it back to the 80s uh, aliens 
um, um, and uh, uh, you know, uh, being asked, you know, how many, how many actual, how many combat drops have you done? Yeah, and then we get one answer, and it's like, and then the follows on simulated, and it's just like, <laughs> yeah. okay, there's a big <laughs> distinction. Here. You know, you've actually, you know, this is your first time in properly in the field is yeah. is a big distinction. So, in other words, there's that whole kind of idea of like the math, and and I think for I think for software, the term there's a lot of mathematics that is in bits there are things yeah. that are genuine mathematics there's a lot that is mathematical but the better way of looking at it is is um formal now i don't want to get that wrapped up with formal methods yeah. because that's clearly a, an important subset but it's formalized and i was it's there's there's elements and uh, that's something i've always found fascinating is that you got the human element which is definitely hugely informal sloppy we are not we are not formalized um creatures we're very very associative um and, and then what developers have to do is bridge the gap between this incredibly sloppy world that somehow has form and shape, but is not necessarily rigid and prescriptive and with well-defined boundaries. And then you kind of shift into the world of programs, which have exactly the opposite nature. They are highly formalized. You know, it's, it's a programming language is a formal structure. There's no kind of like, maybe today I'll compile it or maybe you don't. And if it looks like that, you know, you have a problem. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, but it, there's, there's kind of there's, there's a and what you've got to try and do is build a system for the kind of the soft, squishy uh, thinking and soft, squishy beings out of stuff that is really quite different. Um, and yes. the nature of these two, bringing them together. I think that for me, that's one of the things I find fascinating, but it's probably also for many people without them realizing is what's interesting about software development is there is the rewarding aspect of what some things that are solved and elegant and it's just like that's done but then there's the other element of like and how does it fit with the world which is also quite exciting um mm. and also the discoveries that you make is just like well i thought this was a really good abstraction but now i truly understand what's being built i don't think that's the right abstraction that doesn't mean it's a bad abstraction it's just not the right abstraction for this system it's just now i understand yeah how it's evolving through time and the kind of the nature of changes that the, the client wants from it or the things we've discovered from uh, from sprint to sprint. It's just like, oh, okay, I keep touching this, keep changing it with that optimism. Oh, I'll get it right this time. But actually, actually, maybe I'm learning something deeper. The fact that this is not the idea that I thought it was um, and I need a different point of view. Um, you know, that, and, so, and 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 that's that's not a side effect or an accident. That's the nature yeah. of of the game. It, it's this exercise. It's this continual exercise in learning, in which we en enhance our understanding of the problem that we're trying to address, and the nature of our solution, a solution that we're trying to apply to it. And yeah. and and it seems to that's one of the things that I've very very strongly come to believe that that's a complete cornerstone of our discipline, yeah. and we optimize to be able to maintain our ability to make changes when we learn new stuff. So yeah. so I, I I refer to it as this kind of one in, one of the ways of kind of pragmatically informally adopting the philosophy of science to software. So yeah. I want to I want to consciously start out assuming that I'm going to make a mistake and I'm going to be wrong, and yeah. then I'm going to look at ways in which I can falsify my my guesses uh, along yeah. the way, and that's a yeah. much stronger way of learning than assuming that my design's perfect and it's going to be right and I'm never never going to have to correct it again. Yeah. I found the one true way, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I, I'm always reminded, you know, that there's a, this is years ago, but I had a client where I had, 
I, I'd become, uh, over successive visits, I'd become familiar with the nature of their system and what they were doing. And they one day asked me, well, we love you to design this kind of like subsystem and it's got these performance and strengths and stuff like that. And we've got the suggestion for the basic idea of the design. And I kind of said, I don't think the memory manager is going to like that. I don't think that's, that's, I don't think that's going to work. I don't think it's going to meet the performance requirements that you need. Um, I think there's going to be issues with it. And then I made a suggestion and they said, are you sure? And I said, well, I, I think this is going to work better. I think this will work better with uh, memory allocation on this platform. I think mm -hmm. that for the, you know, you're, you're dealing with peak, they basically wanted to deal with peak demand in some way. You know, we can't handle yeah. all the data, but what we need to do is spool it off so we can handle it later. And I, and I said, I think the way I'm proposing will work this way. And then I tossed in another idea because um, I'm not really happy until I've got three ideas. You know? <laughs> so they gave me one. I, I, had, yeah. I had a preferred one. I didn't yeah. think there's a work. I had a preferred one, and you know, and uh, and then I had a third one, and I thought the yeah. third one was okay. I thought it was better than their suggestion, but I didn't think it was great. Yeah. Um. And you know, they gave me a couple of days. You know, they 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 fed me coffee. You know, gave me a meeting room, all the rest of it. But my favorite thing is one of the, one of the guys came in one day. Um. You know, a first or second day, he came in and he saw I had an ID on my screen. I had code. There were curly mm -hmm. brackets happening. And he said, "Oh, we didn't expect you to code." And it's just I kind of looked at it. It's just like, well. How do you think I was going to do this? Sit here and make it for three days, um, you know, and come up with a pure design. Like, no, no, I have designed it. You know, I, you know, I am the architect to make it. Whatever. Here is, here is the word. Here is the solution. And it's just like, no, I'm trying each one of these out. I want to see what it feels like in code. Um, and also, I'm, I'm going to do some basic, basic performance analysis. No, no, no yeah. not too big. Just to get a kind of order of magnitude feel for this stuff. And, and. And I and I wrote it up. And the funny thing is, it was, I wrote it up, and I, it's only in hindsight that I realised I'd written it up like an experimental report. You know, um, here's here's the situation. Here's what we've got. Here's the various proposals. Here's how we've run it. And here's here's the yeah. here's the results and recommendations for future work. Um, yeah. But what I found is that I I was right and I was wrong. I was right. Their approach wouldn't meet their requirements. I was also yeah. right that my my preferred approach would meet their requirements. Yeah. But I was wrong in that my kind of like third throwaway option it was outstanding it was way ahead of me, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. and i would not have known that by meditating upon it that had to be made real that had to be yeah. brought into the world and to actually you, to, you also have to kind of mess about with it in other words that the yeah. very act of I mean, and you, you mentioned kind of like solving mathematical problems for fun and that's one of those interesting things is that I, i'm guilty of having done similar things in the past um um and it, it's kind of fun. Um, but the thing is, until you've done it, you don't know how you're going to do it. You've got some ideas yeah. and you're going to crack away at it. And in that sense, there is a sort of a creativity. You know, it's it's mathematics is not necessarily empirical, but it is certainly creative. Yeah. I'm going to try this. Oh, I don't work. Oh, what about this one? Oh, what about this? Yeah. You've got that. And, and software just pushes it that little bit further to bring it into the world and say, well, yeah, but how does that work in the world as opposed to yes. in abstract, abstract space? And that is a really important, and that idea, I think it's a really interesting one because what we're doing is we're bringing together the idea of problem solving and creativity, um, but with something that somebody else is going to experience and they're going to work with it. Some that somebody else is either going to be another developer experiencing the code or it's going to be um, an end user experiencing what is this system like. Yes. And so there's a kind of a feedback. You don't necessarily get that uh, quite the same from something that is mathematical. Um, uh, there's a kind of a sense there of, is this appropriate for the world that we want as opposed to, you know, yeah, this is, this is fine. It's a nice idea, but 
um, uh, it, it's a case of like, what is its context? You know, I can yeah. draw you a picture of a house. And I could ask you, is this a good house? And and you could say, yeah, that looks good. And then I could say, well, here's the hill that I'm going to put it on. And you said, well, you didn't say anything yeah. about the hill. <laughs> That's completely. <laughs> you know, the context absolutely matters. And and yeah. I think that sometimes we we kind of there's this kind of sort of maths envy that sometimes uh, takes over people. And sometimes there's that idealism because software does, you know, as I said, there's these two different spaces, the, the, the sloppy human one that is filled with economics and, 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 and ill-formed thoughts. And the fact that the realization that no matter what we do with any development process, people always talk about prioritizing requirements, stuff like that. Uh, humans don't walk around with a list of priorities that we don't actually that's that's not a thing that happens in the brain we don't have lists yeah. like that um um and you so have my wife <laughs> i have <laughs> but that i'm going to say that when people but that's a thinking tool that a list becomes a thinking tool yes when you yes. provoke a human just randomly they don't have a, they have to create a list and yes. it's going to be drawn from whatever is available. It's, a, it's an availability um, bias there. Um, whatever is available um, at that particular point in time. Um, and, it, and unless they've already really thought through, oh, I'm going to use lists like this, unless they've actually structured that in there, then that's not the naturally the way they think. Most people yes. don't sit there thinking like, we want a product and I'm going to think in terms of these requirements. No, you're probably thinking in terms of other things that are your skill space. And so when we provoke humans into, oh, I need a formal structure, give me a priority list. That's not how they actually think, but they can learn to move yes. towards it. But that doesn't mean they're thinking genuinely like that. And then we have this associative mess, which is also where all the creativity comes from. And then we have this kind of like hard edge stuff, which is very uncompromising. You know, there's no negotiation with the compiler. It's not a matter of opinion whether or not this, this works or not. And then we're trying to do all of this. So we've got this, all these different strands of, of, of creativity, yet bounded by a particular formalism. And so it's kind of like you need lots of different points of view. And so although ultimately I believe that it is all underpinned by a perspective of engineering, you know, and I think with software engineering, it's not, it's, it, it, uh, I, how do I put it? I, I, did a, I did a talk a very long time, very long time ago um, at, um, at the GoTo conference. It was nearly 20 years ago and it was an end note. And it was, oh, no, it was the Jio conference at that time. They hadn't called themselves GoTo yet. Um, and it, it was entitled Beyond Metaphor, where I looked at a bunch of metaphors that we use in software development. Mm. Um, and, and the whole value of them, I, I sort of said, yeah, it gives you different points of view. But I said, one of them is, you know, actually what we do is, is engineering, but it's not engineering that has to worry mostly about physics and logistics. We don't really yeah. worry about logistics. It turns out that what happened, what, is it, what does engineering look like when you take all of that away? And you're still making trade-offs and you're still doing a whole lot of things. It's just that it doesn't, you don't have to worry about the bridge materials. You yeah, don't have yeah, to worry yeah. about, you know, the, the, all, all the materials that you don't have to worry about it the same way. There's a whole load of other things that just disappear, but that doesn't stop it from being um, a, a discipline that is uh, learning-based, um, that is in some sense pragmatic, but is also very trade-offs driven. Uh, yes. That's a really, really important part. You know, mathematically, we know, when people talk about maths is trade-offs are not quite there in the same way when somebody comes up with a proof and they can't quite prove it it's like well you know close enough it's like it's it, it, um the um uh Fermat's last theorem um which is kind of fresh in my mind because i did i interviewed simon singh a few months ago um on some of his things and he wrote a wonderful book on Fermat's last theorem the history uh, yeah. of that and andrew wiles's um uh, uh, uh proof 
Yeah, everybody kind of suspected. Now, an engineer would have said, yeah, you know what? Fermat's right. It's close yeah. enough. We can't find anything that's good yeah. enough. We can't yeah. find an N for, uh, you know, that there is other than Pythagoras, you know, other than A, a squared plus B squared uh, uh, equals C squared for uh, A, B and C being integers. You know, you're not going to find any other um, powers. You know, there is no N that is going to fit that. An engineer would have given up a long time ago. They would have moved on to the next problem because they said, you know, actually, we've done a plausibility analysis. And really, it doesn't look like there's anything there. And given the time and effort, this is good enough. Um, yeah. And and that that's the, in other words, there's a kind of a there's a stopping point and a trade-off discussion that happens there. Yes, it's a Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Vandenberg did a great talk about, about software engineering a few years ago. And he says, engineering in other disciplines, engineering is just the stuff that works. And, and that's yeah. it. It's it's that mix between adopting a scientific style of rational thinking to solve the problems where that's practical, but it doesn't have to be definitive. There's also this empirical little add-on that you know you know yeah that's good enough you know it's uh, and and that seems important to me as part you know as, as part of the discipline is to not expect kind of quantum physics levels of precision uh, in, yeah. in in engineering you know in engineering unless you're building something that's using quantum physics you know you don't yeah. you don't, take, you don't expect you don't do that if you're building a car you know you, you yeah. you're more pragmatic than that and i i, I yeah. think i think that's one of the one is interesting that the way that you kind of couch that in in talking about your your talk is um is that it's it, it's engineering without those kind of the, the logistics? I talk about it in 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 terms of I think our mistake is assuming that engineering because it's so popular in the real world is production engineering that we're talking about. So you know yes. that they are a synonym and they're not. There's also design engineering, which I think is much much closer to what it is that we yeah. do. We're much less interested in those the logistics of production because production's free for us. So, yes. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a I think that is a really important distinction because it's it's one of those things when you zoom in and I think it's the it's it's the it, it, as you start zooming in you start realizing distinctions that are not necessarily and and that's and I think that's that's both the strength and the weakness of any of any word when we throw a word out there to say this yes. is like this or this is this um we probably have a fairly clear idea in our heads um, based on whatever our experience is, but we've got no guarantee that the other person, the receiver, has the same mental model. And yeah. it's and, and that I think is is a really um a really important one. It's sometimes when when you kind of like push the edges of those definitions. So I think for me, one of the really interesting ones, actually funny enough, and, and I wonder whether it and this is tied. I know this is just like a you know, uh, uh, I can't I can't tell you, but basically the late 90s I read um to engineer is human by Henry Petrosky, mm -hmm. uh, wonderful book. Now he's a civil engineer and a historian um, and really wonderful book, but, but the subtitle is The Role of Failure um, uh, yes. in Successful Engineering. Yeah. And it's that idea of understanding things through failure, which I, I wonder if that ties into me and my fascination with when I take pictures and how other people send me pictures of failure. But that yeah. idea that actually we can learn a lot by nudging a system to, nudging a system beyond what we actually understood nudging it beyond yes. our preconceptions yes. revealing our own assumptions it's just like ah and 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 occasionally doing that on purpose one of the things i'm i'm currently obsessed watching spacex build their starships in 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 texas uh, and and i've been following it for for a while now uh, a little while ago 
they decided that they, they they made an unusual decision of building this this their spaceships out of stainless steel rather than aluminium, which is what spaceships were. Originally, they thought they were going to do it with carbon fiber. Then they chose they looked yeah. at the alternatives. They came up with stainless steel because it got a better temperature range and for strength to weight ratio and all that kind of stuff. But at one point, they'd built these things. They they'd flown some of them. They decided they were going to move from four millimeter stainless steel to three millimeter stainless steel. Same stuff, same same type of steel, but just the thickness changed. You'd think that'd be the kind of thing that you could just you know, do your slide draw in the olden days, but run it through <laughs> run it through a computer and, and and understand. But no, they built they built the system and they they, they pressure tested it to destruction to see how their welds held up, how their design stood up under that real, you know, empirical load in, in yeah. you know, lifelike circumstances. See what happens at the point when it screws yeah. up. And, yeah. uh, you know, that that's what real world engineering looks like, it seems, seems yeah. to me. But there's that idea of like, you're going to, we're going to do this and try this thing out and then yeah. see what happens. And there's a, for me, that, that that's this idea that time is a really important ingredient of what we do, which I think mm. is really missing from a lot of a, a, a lot of formalisms of what is software that is the timeful aspect yes. not the timeless aspect but the timeful aspect and i was honestly i couldn't tell you the answer to this until i built it and we've seen it for a bit i know it's not quite right but it's plausibly in the right space um and but i don't know what my assumptions are you know and it's by definition you don't know what your assumptions are because, and you know, I always like to point out that assumptions are really weird pieces of knowledge. Um, they are, um, they are only ever discovered. They are normally only discovered in contradiction. Um, you know, somebody says something, you go, "Oh, but I had assumed that at that moment." Yeah, you discover you had an assumption. You've had it for a long time, but if anybody had asked you prior to that, "What are your assumptions?" You'd have said, "I have none." You know, <laughs> only when it is contradicted, you go, "Oh, that's an yeah. assumption." Um, so it's just very curious from a, an epistemological point of view. This is really weird kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it's the fact that you know, if you know, you know, it's it's um, you know, it's kind of Lego bricks, Lego bricks in the dark. You know, there is a dark room. I know there are Lego bricks on the floor. Um, the problem is, although I know that I have assumptions, although I know there are Lego bricks. I can't tell you where they are until I've stepped on them. I have assumptions, yep. but until, but I'm not going to do that by just standing at the door. I can, I have to walk into the room. I have to tread through, tread through. Go, ah, there's one. There's another one. There's another one. You know, yep. it's one of those things. You have to be deliberate about this. You've got to put that stuff out there. And of course, prior knowledge can, um, it can give you a, a real, uh, a kind of a real leg up. That's the, the standing on shoulders of giants. That's the cumulative experience. Like why, why is it that we are recreating the errors that previous projects have done? Yeah, you know, we got we got all this experience, and it's it's we we see this repeatedly at the level of um, uh, uh, individuals, um, uh, companies, and uh, discipline as a whole. Um, it's a case of um, one of those interesting things is like yeah. We all make mistakes. That's absolutely fine. Um, we 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 are always operating with incomplete knowledge. By definition, we're operating mm -hmm. with incomplete knowledge. Um, software, as you said, <laughs> production is free. We've got that was a solved problem. You know, nineteen fifties. Yeah. We, we basically solved the elements of that, and we've just been getting better at it um, yeah. ever since. Um, but that whole idea of that leaves us with the hard problem of and what is it we're trying to build and why. And how do we how do we do that? Yes, which turns out to be surprisingly challenging, but is by definition open ended because we're not yes. producing identical artifacts. So, you know, here, I've got I don't know how many of these pens lying around my office. 
Um, yeah. And they are all equivalent to one another. They are all, except for the ink content, substitutable for one another. They are identical. That's because they have Bungible a reduction. <laughs> yeah, they have a reduction <laughs> process that is designed to eliminate variation. Yeah, yeah. we we've done that far. Doctor is never else. like that. Yes. Yeah, the software challenge is that if somebody comes along and says, I want something that I want that system over there running over yeah. here, well, yeah. I can solve the problem. You know, yeah. um, if some, you know, if if, uh, if I see um, uh, one of my sons, if they show me an app uh, on the phone, um, yeah. I don't have to say, oh, I need to build that. It's just like, yeah. I'm going to go to the store and get it for myself. It, yeah. It's it's downloadable. If somebody shows me a piece of code and I say, oh, that's really good. Could we, we now need to write that code over here. No, yeah. <laughs> it's just a case of we've, we've yeah. solved all of these issues, but we're left with that. We're left with the challenging issue, which is not production of the elimination of variation, but the production of variation. That's our job. When somebody says, "Yes, I want this system, but I want it slightly different. I want to, uh, you know, I want that thing our competitor has done. Well, that's different because we don't have their code. That's for us. This is new. It's new to us. I want the old version. I want a new version of the system. And so whenever anybody asks for a feature extension, they're not just asking for a feature extension. They're actually asking for a new system. It's the yes. old system plus some new behavior. That's yes. a new system by definition. And, um, and, and, and that's, that's, that's one of the key facets of doing a good job is to be able to make that move from the previous version to the new version easy. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I, I am increasingly of the mind that if, you're, if you can't change your software, then the software is low quality. You know, that yeah. is the practical, pragmatic realization yeah. of quality in your software. I don't care about anything else. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't care what language it's in. I don't care what, you know, if I can change it easily and safely, then it's good quality. Yeah. And, and, and pretty much, and there was, and again, there were some of these sort of deep tools that, you know, things like modularity, cohesion, separation of concerns, encapsulation, yeah. abstraction, those sorts of coop coupling, those sorts of tools that allow us the freedom to make those kinds of moves. When, when, when we realize, oh shit, we got it wrong. Yeah. The freedom we can, make, we can make the change, and I think that's really important because one of the I think for me one of those one of those insights or you know an emerging wave of insights over the years has come from this idea. Okay, we're always operating with incomplete knowledge, so that means that whatever yeah. I'm building is um, is is in some sense wrong. Although I think wrong is a it, it, sometimes yeah. there's too much we there's too much attached to that word. Your um, best, but yeah, it's just, far. It's my best, yeah, based on what I knew. It's, 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 yeah. it's, you know, we did our best job. This is what we've got, but now we've learned something from it, either because the world told us or because we learned uh, as a result, our own, our own awareness of this. But, but what's interesting is you can derive a lot of the ideas that we value, um, uh, modularity, uh, uh, loose coupling, and all the rest of it, from an understanding of like, well, how would you build something if you didn't know everything? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, I here's the thing I'm not sure about. And here's the thing I'm very sure about. You know, this thing I'm not sure about, I'm going to really ram it in there and couple tightly to it. No, you want to loosely couple to it because this is probably going to change. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm going to isolate myself from that. It's, this is, I'm not totally sure about it. I've kind of got an idea, but I want to put a little bit of distance between this and this. And that distance is, 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 is our dependencies. That distance yeah. is our interfaces. That distance is, the idea is that all of this falls out naturally when you start saying, well, you can actually, and this is, I think is fascinating because it runs along um, a kind of an alternative axis. Sometimes they arrive at the same conclusion, but sometimes they don't to the traditional language of abstraction and things like that. Mm -hmm. How would you modulize? Modulize according to abstraction. Well, there's multiple ways of abstraction. We have different paradigms for that. Mm -hmm. um, but what the, what is interesting is going, well, how sure are you about this? 
And it's just like, well, but, you know, we, oh, I'm pretty sure we built, we've done something almost identical. It's not identical, but it's almost identical. Well, that gives us yeah. maybe high confidence and this worked out well. That's the yeah. second bit. People normally forget that. <laughs> Doing it, <laughs> sometimes we get stuck in a rut. You know, it's just like, we did this before and how did that work out for you? Yeah, you know, not very well, but we're going to do it again this way. It's just like, no, 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 no. It's an opportunity here. Um, and that's that, that idea of, you know, you know, it's good to have a few ideas uh, uh, that you can trade off against one another. Yes. Um, but then you've got that other other idea of like saying, well, let's let's go through this in terms of certainty. And I, I've done this a couple of times with people and they're, they're, they're always kind of slightly freaked out because you kind of come up with a rough kind of like sketch of what you're going to do and say, well, hang on, but we haven't actually talked about all of the design detail that they normally talk about it's just like well yeah what we did is we've just drawn a bunch of boxes and lines yeah. and things based on your confidence in other words when i've asked a question and you've said oh yeah we're not really sure how we're going to do that right i've drawn a line there's a boundary yeah. there of knowledge because we're sure yeah. about one side but we're not sure about the other i don't care what it is i don't care what paradigm we're talking yeah it's clearly something we're not sure about so maybe we shouldn't hug it too closely a little bit of yeah. a little bit of loosening a little bit of a wall would be good yeah, yeah. And, and likewise, when somebody says, oh, yeah, we're going to do it this way, and a colleague says, oh, I thought we were going to do it this way. You know what? There's a line there as well, because yeah. there's clearly this is not settled. And it may turn out that one of them is right one year and the other one is right the next year. In other words, th yeah. things may change, whether it's performance characteristics or whatever, that favor one and then the other. And again, that's timeful rather than timeless quality. But that idea there that we can get a heads up just by actually almost constructively using our uncertainty mm -hmm. um, to, uh, as a positive aspect to sort of see, well, how does this work? And then we've got the empirical side of things, which is, okay, here's, here's what kept changing every every release. You know, what yes. were hotspots? What did, what, what did we keep going back and saying, oh, no, no, this time it'll be right. We'll just add this here. And that kind of, it, I think one of the first times I ever really noticed that question of stability properly feeding back was um, a Java system. It was, a, it was a, a company that was doing a Java system and they had the debate about, uh, they were having the debate and have not yet resolved it um, uh, about um, checked exceptions. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and, uh, and, for, uh, and for those uh, uh, for those tuning in who are not aware of this feature in Java, um, checked exceptions basically allow um, uh, basically allow you to make exceptions part of the signature of a method, um, a sort of checkable aspect of the signature. And it's one of those things that in theory is a good idea, but that actually turns out that in practice, um, if you don't know exactly what you're doing, um, in other words, if you don't have perfect knowledge, um, and you're building a large system, they have a really nasty impact because they they introduce an element that is um, uh, unstable or rather needs to be stable, but is not yet stable. Um, in other words, how does this fail? I don't know yet because we haven't fully understood. This goes right back to where we started. What are the failure modes of this? Yeah. Um, short of saying something trivial like there is an error, and that's often what these uh, checked exceptions tend towards, which is throws framework error. In other words, mm -hmm. actually, that's of almost no use to anybody whatsoever. Bad things may happen. Well, we knew that because this, <laughs> this bad <laughs> things may happen. You end up either saying nothing at all or you say it so precisely that unless you've actually had this out in the field for a long time and converged on that, the chances are somebody's going to come up with a new failure mode. Um, yes. And it's just like, oh, well, so the curious thing is what you've done is that your happy day scenario, what you want from the method, why the reason you called it, you don't call it, I'm not calling this method except perhaps in a test. I'm not calling this method in order for it to fail. That's not my goal here. 
I'm calling this because I wanted a result. I'm expecting that it all, it's all going to work out. Yeah. So therefore, right at the edge of my vision and edge of my awareness is all of these failures, all of these possible failures, which we've not yet explored. And as time goes by, we get more refined understanding. Oh, this could be distributed. Oh, well, our distributed bit throws different exceptions to the ones that are those. So we've now made this thing, which was local. Now it's a certain, oh, okay. So we're going to have to change the signature again. So we've suddenly yeah. made something we've caused churn in the in the interface. And this is one of those interesting things that comes out of the kind of the more empirical side of things. It's not that nobody who put that feature in Java um, did so maliciously or without thought. I, I certainly, you know, I, I certain my understanding at the time and all everything leading up is like, no, there's some good thinking, solid thinking that goes right back to the 1970s in exploring all of this, but it's the scale. What happens when you actually create open systems that are large, uh, and with all manner of developers, it suddenly turns out, ah, oh, there's a fundamental problem here. And it's to do with rate of change and stability of knowledge, what we do yes. and don't know. And that was a that was a revelation. Anyway, for this team, it was a real revelation because they were split down the middle. Um, you know, half were pro, half were anti. And I was just, I, I, I can't come in and just sort of say, you know, it's going to go this way or that way. So I actually came up with an empirical approach. And I basically said, you know, don't make anything checked. You know, look at... You know, before you decide to make something checked, as it were, and seal yeah. it in, look at how it's behaved over the last few iterations. It's right to test that, that simulate the failures as well. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, not just yeah, but the failures uh, do all of those, and they're actually quite good at that. But your understanding yeah. of the failures, yeah, yeah, is the yeah. real how, how you how you respond to it, absolutely. Yeah, and and it turns out that some of these kept changing on a frequent basis, and I said, look, that idea is not yet stabilized. That idea is still young. You know, don't nail it in place, and which is my a polite way of saying like actually probably you know so in other words don't make it checked until you're sure which is a fancy yeah. way of saying don't make it checked because the, the chances are they weren't going to go back and review stuff but what we had is at least a, a maturity model and it's this idea of that it doesn't matter what you think today you're going to overvalue your confidence um and and so it's this idea that time will give you the answer i can't tell you how this is going to evolve um, I can't tell you how other, you know, and this goes across APIs. It's not just about failure modes. Yeah. How this is going to evolve. How, how, how's it going to be used? What are the things that are frequently going to change? And then going back to your point about what we want to do is align the structures of our software with what are the frequent changes we actually experience? As yes. opposed to, you know, people often pad their design or add complexity um, yes. because they're saying, oh, well, maybe this will change. And it turns out that, the better your imagination, the worse this gets. <laughs> so if you are an imagine, if you are a creative and imaginative developer, you can imagine all kinds of possibilities and the gold plating and the extra hooks and bits and pieces. And so, the more imagination, the, the less imagination you have, the quicker you'll get the job done. The more imagination you have, is actually, in that sense, it, it works as it works against you because you think, well, what about this? What about that? all of these are possible, but most of them are not likely. And probably, what you want to do is see, well, what actually happens with this, and. And uh, and that gets you to ask the more meaningful questions like, well, you know, should we release this API yet? Or should we release it and put a caution on it? It's just like, okay, this is this is a beta release. Uh, we're not, no, we're not planning to support this. Um, yeah. This is a beta release. This is for you to try it. In other words, it makes us a little more aware. It makes us look up from the keyboard and go, how are people going to use this? Um, That's, that, that gets to one of the things that I think is really important is just in software development is is, is always thinking in that broader context of, yeah. you know, um, how 
how how do people consume this whether whether it's other developers or whether it's end users how do people consume it's it's that stuff that you were talking about earlier about the interaction between the you know the the relatively rigid forms of software and the relatively fuzzy forms of people but ultimately always comes down to that whether it's it's an api on or or you know some complex system that that people interact with it, yeah. it's it's so much about being pragmatic and learning that and it's one of the things that drives me nuts working with big organizations when they you know silo up the development process to the extent where you get development teams who have no idea the context in which their pieces of software are used. They have some kind yeah. of people giving them requirements in the form of programming by remote control, which, which you know, they're supposed to build out, to churn out these widgets, and they don't have any context. And you, yeah. you get to use software that look, you, you can tell sometimes just by using the software. Nobody's ever thought about actually using this bloody piece of software. It's so bad, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that idea of usability, it's kind of, it's, it's a turtles all the way down. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You have you have the end user, but then also as as software developers, we are clients of our own products. Uh, we are, yes. clients, you know, you're creating. It's the, it's the classic um, kind of uh, uh, consumer and supplier um, uh, metaphor for understanding uh, components and interfaces and so on. That you know, how is somebody going to consume this? But also, there's that contractual idea of like, and what stipulate? What am I going to say about? how they should use it because everything has a boundary yes. everything has a limit yes. and it's it's that idea because the over engineering issue I've, I've seen that where in fact again I, I can pick on java um but i've seen it certainly in other in other cases um so when java arrived it basically said hey everything is synchronizable so you can make it thread safe and i remember thinking at the time um that's a really bad idea um that's yes. a terrible idea yeah. um uh that that's not how you do this because I, I remember at the time you know somebody sort of showed me the c++ and they said oh this isn't thread safe and i said no it's perfectly thread safe you can pass one thread through it that's it say <laughs> you know if you do anything else on your head be it but i've just told <laughs> yes. you the circumstances under which this will work i have given you a context under which this will work um and that's not me being picky. It's, a, it's actually a genuine answer because otherwise people do go around and they start gold plating everything and they yeah. do so very badly. And it's just like, no, I don't actually. Th- the question is, this is thread safe. Oh, yeah, but you can't share it between threads. Mm, no, I didn't say you could. It's perfectly thread safe. I can run it in one thread on its own. And that is its safety level. Yes. Whereas there are some code that has a safety level of zero. In other words, this is thread safe if you pass zero threads through it. You know, it's buggy. I can, um, I can I can give you I can I can give you a real world example of that the, the danger of synchronization blocks in Java. Uh, Martin Thompson, my friend, uh, years ago worked on. At the time, we thought it was the first ever internet bank. So he was called in to consult on this because they had a serious performance problem with their Java implementer. It was one of the early big Java implementations in the sort of mid mid to late 90s. Um, and, um, and he went in and several people had been to look at that. And it turned out, to cut a long story short, that you know that they they all all of the tests ran and it all looked fine. They put it into production and the performance absolutely tanked. And it turned out somebody put a synchronization block around some piece of code in the critical path. So this internet bank could support one concurrent user and everybody else queued up. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. and, 
and that, that's the thing is that for, for you know people answer you know, oh yeah but this needs to be thrown so well what do you mean by that term yeah and it's like why are you doing in other words again the context so it's a case of like not everything wants to be shared between threads and there are other ways and everybody was a lot happy in the 90s and yeah. finally got you know it, 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 you know it's one of the reasons i keep certain old books around is that is that you can kind of see the the shifts in in style and approach yeah. um and but I also remember with with, uh, with the client, this was a, a C plus plus system that we went through and looked at their problem, and they just sort of it wasn't they weren't highlighting a performance problem, but I remember looking through, they've got this huge stuff in memory, lots of data, mm. lots of rows of data in memory, and there's thirty thousand locks, yeah. and I'm sitting there going like, I'm pretty sure this is <laughs> all the ways that you could do this. This is probably not the right way, and it was one of those kind of like take a step back and look at it and go like, well actually what you've got you've you've done it as a a kind of a, a data centered problem with lots yeah. of threads operating on the data and i said but if you understand what the threads do i said they actually follow a life cycle and that life cycle uh, we could do that as a data flow in other words um it worked out basically it was a data flow we basically you know yeah you can ha you don't need anywhere near as many threads you're stealing from yourself it turns out uh, with a lot of this and it, it turns out if you do it as a pipeline yeah. Then we ended up with only needing six locks, and that was in the bits that connected, you know, that yeah. in the pipes. Um, yeah. And in other words, the point is the data, uh, but they said, but the data itself is not thread safe. And I said, yes, it is, because its environment guarantees that it's thread safe. Yes. That data will only ever be accessed by zero or one threads at any yes. one particular point in time. And that's the game. And we, when we start looking at this, and again, this is this engineering to context idea. Um, yes. Just when we talk about when we talk about car safety and uh, and road safety and all the rest of it, we understand that there are conventions, rules of the road, and contexts uh, in which we evaluate that. And the outside of that, we make no there's no guarantee. And that's again for my own for me that that light bulb moment I had when reading um, in the early days of patterns, actually reading outside the kind of the, the, the software space, going like, ah right, there's this idea of context. Where does this idea apply? beyond which we make no guarantees. And that doesn't mean that it's a bad solution. Um, it, it just means that it is no longer appropriate or you know, outside that context. It's a perfectly fine solution for the thing that it was intended for. Um, yes. and, and that I think rubs up against a different trend that sometimes we see uh, developers, architects and so on is overgeneralization. The idea mm. that everything must be general. Um, I, and, I, 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 think, I think that the, one of the, one of the traps of our disciplines that, that it seems to me inherent in the nature of software is that we are we're often inches away from some quite deeply complicated problems yeah. whatever the level of abstraction that we're working at almost as soon as you have to it seems to me fundamental that that as soon as you have two pieces two copies of information in separate places that are changing independently you've got a world-class first-class quantum physics level problem you know this is hard stuff however you know whatever the nature of the information however it is that you deal with it um working on high performance systems along with martin building exchanges and, and, and trading systems and stuff you know the cut we, we measured the costs of concurrency locks 
you know, uh, um, compare and swap operations in, you know, yeah. in, in processes and all those kinds of things to try and optimize the performance of our systems. And, that, you know, one of the things, one of the things that I've observed is that the more that people know about concurrent building concurrent systems, the more their advice is don't do it unless you can possibly avoid it. <laughs> yes, yes. That, and and that's <laughs> you know, this is this is incredibly difficult stuff. So, you know, things like adding synchronization blocks and saying everybody can now in Java can write threads or having thousands, uh, thousands of um, uh, uh, locks in, in your C++ uh, program are all seems to me symptoms of not realizing that this is a this is a point to stop and think hard because this requires hard thinking. Yeah. This is a, this is a difficult part. And, yeah. and I, it seems to me that concurrency and coupling are the kind of the the really hard parts of our discipline. Yeah, I, I think so because I think one there's the because again coupling is and what's interesting actually it's interesting you draw those two together because I think the interesting about coupling is that it's is um, concurrency is hard to is hard for us to reason about and conceptualize. Um, yes. um, uh, coupling suffers a different problem. Um, um, but interesting, but both of both, which I find fascinating, both of them manifest themselves physically um, uh, in, in terms of concurrency is about structuring things in time. Um, yeah. But if somebody says, well, how tightly coupled is this code base? I'll tell you what, let me do a build. Yeah. <laughs> me, well, you know, you can, you know, in other words, you can actually measure the energy of a build. Um, and yeah. it's one of those things uh, that uh, I remember turning, uh, turning up at a particular it was a it was a it was a, an engineering project um uh, electricity company multiple companies were subcontracting it was a political nightmare it was just pure conway all the way through um but in the in the in the in the failure mode um and it, it was a, it was a political nightmare um and uh, all kinds of fascinating things but one of the most interesting things was as a development team um uh, the team that i was working with uh, uh, what we were working on was very much back end stuff it was much more towards the hardware it was the real-time stuff but it was kind of like we felt like we came out of our cave to go and speak to these other people it's just yeah. oh my goodness this is absolute enterprise chaos um, um and 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 then we what was funny is that because we were building for multiple environments we were building for 32 and 64-bit environments we were building for um slow environments uh, as well as environments where we had uh, high-powered CPUs and as we had a framework supposed to work everywhere. But the embedded environment, oh my goodness, the builds on that were so incredibly slow that we really, we cared about dependencies at such a level so that yeah. we had fast builds, which meant when we ran it on a 64-bit platform, it was practically instantaneous. It was, it was yeah. a beautiful side effect. But then we encountered all these other people who were just doing all kinds of stuff with their code. And this was like, uh, I'm, I'm going to call it C plus most of what they were writing. <laughs> Um, because it, it was clearly using a C++ compiler, but I don't think it got much beyond C. Yeah. Um, and But they, the way they managed their dependencies or didn't, uh, everything depended on everything else, and the build times were staggering and shocking. Um, <laughs> we ended up building an isolation layer between our company and the rest um, as a result, because it's just like we got so used to fast build times um, on these platforms. Yeah. And it's just that idea of like, yeah, I can, you know, how good is your coupling? I can either measure it in joules or I can actually time it. You see, yes. it's kind of like, you know, our builds take a lot less time than your builds um, yes. because we've got really, we've we've stripped it right down. What is essential? So there's a physical aspect there, but it's not, you know, and again, concurrency is this physical one, but concurrency we find difficult to reason about because having so many things in motion is not a, it's not a strength of human beings. 
But mm. coupling is is more a sense of scale. Is once we've un, you know, it's that idea of like there's so a large system is like really understanding what a tangle looks like, really understanding yeah. that this dependency means that. And they are both limits. We are limited by what goes on up here, and what, but in slightly different ways with those two. But I think you're right that they are fundamental. They are. They remind us. Uh, they remind us of some of the physics that we do encounter in the universe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and coupling certainly entropy in the build. Um, but concurrency is uh, is that point where your idealization lands in the real world and sometimes it reveals assumptions i've certainly had that with with one client they i remember they uh, one one client we did this kind of surgery uh, style thing you know i had a couple of days there i ran some training then i had a couple of days and people would book a morning or an afternoon and kind of i'd, I'd go mm. with the team and i had one one team say oh well yeah an hour of your time this morning would be great i said well no, no you, you can have the full three hours they said no no we won't need that they walked in and i remember asking a particular question i said you know looking at the code they were going through and uh, i said um uh oh so how many threads run through this piece of code because i was aware they were using threading how many threads run through this piece of code and there are a number of correct answers to this um zero um is a valid answer which means this code is dead uh one is also a valid answer and many is also a valid answer i didn't get that all i got is usually one and i said that's interesting what do you mean by usually <laughs> why would you not say that's many as far as i'm concerned that's many yeah oh, you, well well what we have is we have a it's single threaded except a, you know oh this is single threaded code Kevin. except occasionally another thread will just sneak into this bit here they don't it's just like threads don't sneak <laughs> and they had this mental model of threading that was not actually how threading works. They had kind of thought that threading respected the natural boundaries of the language and statements yeah. and blocks and things like that. Yeah. Um, and and they had and, and they said, well, it only happens occasionally. I said, well, you know, you only need to fail occasionally. You know, there's they, I said there's a race condition waiting to happen here because you see you load this and then you validate this here. What if something else sneaks in at this point and you've got an unvalidated? It's just like, yeah. and it's kind of like one person looked at another and said. You know that might explain this intermittent bug we've been having. And, you know, and, and they said, what, "What what should we do? Should we add locks everywhere?" And I said, "No, no, no, no. Actually, what you need to do is take take a step back. Here, your the problem is not to add, but actually to sort of say, well, why are you doing this? What they were doing was a lazy load. Yeah. And 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 it's a case of like, why are you doing the lazy load here? And they said, well, I, we don't you know the reasons are lost to time. But I said. Because the problem goes away if you do an eager load. If you do an eager mm. load before it goes multi-threaded, then the data you're looking at is actually immutable. You, it's reference yeah. data. Yeah. It's the load that is the state change. And yeah. I said, it, let's do let's do the opposite way. Rather than add locks, let's take a step back. I mean, honestly, given enough time, I would have removed all the threads from this application. It was not a threaded yeah. application, but but it was a case of you know actually take the opposite view. Um, this is a question of time. You're doing the load at the wrong time. You're you're mm -hmm. you should be doing the load before you go multi-threaded. And if you do that, yeah, yeah. then the problem solves itself. But it's that shift in time and perspective. But my favorite bit, again, to do with time, was when when the when the lead in the room said, "You know, we might need more than that one hour, Kevlin." Now, because <laughs> <laughs> when I said, "Do you have more code like this?" It's like, again, it's because it's not. And it's not to criticize because that's the whole point. It goes back to something I said earlier. We are always operating with incomplete knowledge and we are built filled with assumptions. Yeah. Until you've actually run into those, you don't realize what you're missing. Um, and you and you don't realize the magnitude of either how well you've done something or actually how wrong you've understood something. It's like, oh, actually, no, I'm using completely the wrong mental model for thinking about yeah. this. And that, that mental model 
um, has informed how I've structured the software. You know, the software is kind of like applied thought and that mental model, it's, it's off. And we, so that's the squishy human bit. That's the learning bit, but it's also the bit we need to be more, we need to sort of say, yeah, we need to have a, a bigger process that is tolerant of the fact that we are imperfect and that yes. we can't know everything. And that's the whole point. I, this team had not really interacted with that and had not accommodated that idea at that level and most teams i don't think have i think it's a very difficult thing for us to do it's almost against the culture and the nature of software uh, development in many companies oh, i i think you're absolutely right and, and and forgive me bringing it back around to to, to my stuff but but I, I think that's one of the things that treating this more like an engineering discipline ought to be able to give us he's just like he's just those disciplines of just being able to just recognizing that we don't know the answers when we're starting yeah. out recognizing that we're probably not going to be right Rec therefore working more experimentally therefore working to control yeah. manage the complexity of the systems that we build and to measure things and to try stuff out and, and all of those sorts yeah. of things that you know Test-driven development is certainly part of that yeah. for me, deep, deeply. But um, but but I, I think that mindset is so important. Well, what one of the other kind of deep properties it seems to me of software is that it's unlike lots of other things, it, it's actually very easy to start. You can learn. You can learn to write mm. your first simple lines of code in you know a few minutes if you've done a little bit of algebra at least. It's mm. trivial to just do you know, your first easy, trivial bits of code, but it's deceptive because, you know, you don't go very far before you get into some of these more complicated things that we've been talking yeah. about. And, uh, and as you say, as soon, as soon as you start thinking about things like concurrency, that's really hard for the best people in the world. It's like, you know, yeah. you know yeah. it's, it's one of those things about Martin Thompson, they're, they're world-class experts at some of these stuff. But they still that they think really hard and worry about you know yeah. you know shared data at any point and all these kinds of things to, yeah. to be able to, to to manage this sort of stuff. It's 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 an interest. I think that's one of the beauties of it. It's it's it's, yeah. it's the challenge of it that that that's delightful, but also very very risky. I've been talking to be a few people recently about um, uh, low code solutions. And yeah. I think that I think my my take is that many of those sorts of systems suffer from that kind of failing because they assume that it's the almost that it's the typing of the code that's yeah. the hard part, where it's these broader design concepts and how we organize the information in ways that we can we can make a mistake and come back to it in future and correct it yeah. and, and, and identify the mistake. That idea, yeah, the identification, the recognition of how things, uh, as you say, is deceptive. Things can get very messy very quickly. And we see yeah. that, um, you know, uh, so I've given a few, partly as a result of uh, failure screens, I've given a few talks on software failures and the natures of failures yeah. and what contribute to them. Um, but uh, one area of, of enduring fascination for me is, is spreadsheets, which I find absolutely fascinating because it takes yes. a good idea and it implements it incredibly badly. Um, yeah. um, uh, in the sense of, Vision, people find grid forms it's very very intuitive there's there's you know i mean what kid doesn't like squared paper you know this, yeah. this kind of stuff it's like we like laying things out in grids and tables and all the rest of it this is incredibly intuitive and it's it's a very to be fair, to be fair that might just be you and me <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah this might be a conversation obviously anybody else in the comments is free to add no, it's, it's, it's this whole thing of like is incredibly intuitive at that level but the problem is there are two very fundamental issues that uh, that scupper 
um, spreadsheets and make them massively error prone. One um, is, uh, well, three, let me, let me raise that to three, okay? Um, one is the fact that you end up with a lot of interdependencies very, yeah. very quickly um, if you're doing anything that is, is reasonable. And then the next bit, and they're all invisible. And this is the one that, and that this is this is the one thing that as a software developer you kind of look at a spreadsheet and go well that's a nice start but where's the button that i press that shows me all the dependencies between everything you've hidden all of the code you've hidden the bit that actually makes it that shows me the structure and therefore reveals my assumptions you've actually and, and i understand and there's no real mechanism for me to step back to safety when i screw it up <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, but, but there's that idea that we've lost the bit. In other words, what we've yeah, done yeah. is we've presented the veneer and treated that as the whole. Was no, yes. Software uh, spreadsheets have a deep structure, but I, you know, it, it, honestly, even just using something like um, uh, even, a, even a Word document has better structure, structuring yeah. tools than um, uh, uh, Excel. You know, yeah. in Excel, I can go in and I've got, I've got the grid. That's it. Uh, you know, that I'm done. You know, that, yeah. that is my abstraction. That's a, the level at which I'm invited to think. The code is fragmented and scattered around. The relationships are thrown to the winds. It's yeah. a matter of detective work and archaeology to recover them. Um, whereas a, uh, whereas when I work with a document, um, and this is, you know, this this is true of, of many different uh, uh, editors and word processors. I can get a high level structure. I can do an outline structure. I can say, yeah. show me the dependencies. Show me the cross references. Do this kind of stuff. In other words, it's. Uh, spreadsheets are absolutely, you know, they are an absolute mess. And I, I always say this, and somebody says, "Oh, but users find them intuitive." They find them intuitive to use, but they—it's like walking. Into, it's like walking to a minefield. You, you can yes. walk into a minefield incredibly easily. The problem yeah. is we have been depriving, and I think this is—you know—I actually I'm going to I'm going to push this one right back to the profession here. We've been depriving people of the things that we know. Yes, um, uh, it, because we know that a spreadsheet is a—it's got a terrible type system. It's mm -hmm. astonishingly bad. Um, and if anybody ever throws up the argument of backward compatibility, that is absolute nonsense. We've actually seen formats for um, documents change on a five to 10 year cycle. Yeah. Um, there's no backward compatibility issue here at all with things like Excel. That's a myth. Um, you know, you're looking at a five year window at most. Explain to me why it is that my, my Excel looks like it was developed 30 years ago, but everything else that I'm using looks like it was developed in at least the last decade. Yeah. Why, why has Excel failed to take on board all of these other tools that we know to show dependencies? And the third thing to come back to is that people don't realize that there are these issues. So they therefore they, they, they scale up very, uh, very, very poorly. They, they embed many mistakes. Now, the point here is what the reason I'm riffing on this is because you talked about the low code stuff. Mm -hmm. Spreadsheets are by far and away the world's most successful low code to no code solution. And, and anybody who hopes to rival that is just kidding themselves. Um, I'm going to say that right now. You know, I'm not predicting the future. It's just like those hit a very particular stride. They have embedded themselves in a particular way um, in, a, in, a, in a particular world. And they've uh, and they're very current. They are ubiquitous. But if anybody wants to learn how um to do and how not to do, learn from its successes and learn from its failures, and what are the things that it's good at and not good at, um, and then also go back through the history of four GLs, um, and what you'll discover is that you what there's a there's a there's a line that you're looking to draw, 
And you need to understand that it's not universal. There's a line here. You need to work out where it is. It's like, this is the bit that allows people the convenience they want. And then there's this other bit that's incredibly hard. If you're, yes. if you're assuming they can do, you're going to, they're going to be in for a big and nasty shock. Um, and we're just going to be throwing more stuff over the wall at other people um, for, oh, we need to customize this or, oh, this is something that we knocked up. Um, and, you know, uh, but we're having a couple of problems with it. And then kind of somebody yes. looks at it and, you know, it's just like at this point, they suddenly discover that they are, in fact, an Olympic runner because that's the only way they can get away from it uh, fast enough. <laughs> that we are, if we're not doing this one right. So I don't have any grievance with low code. It's just that when people talk about it as a general solution, no, what's valuable yeah, yeah, yeah. is a highly specific solution. Yeah, yeah. It's that, value. That, that's yeah. the value. The, the, the na- yeah. a, 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 narrow, narrow, a narrow, constrained focus. Yeah. They're, they're great really tools. good at that thing yeah, yeah. It, again it goes back to this question this quest for generality that we sometimes have we overgeneralize, make things uh either we end up overgeneralizing, make things ridiculously complex for ourselves yeah. or we end up not overgeneralizing and forever working around taking yeah. something that really wasn't it's, but it's, that but it's, it's 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 that it's that really really you know shades of gray kind of slippery yeah. slope over a snake pit <laughs> yeah yeah the way you, you, you're mixing my metaphors horribly but 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 you you can't you kind of go from you know i'm adding up a column of numbers in my spreadsheet cool that's really nice it's really good for that to you know i've built this thing and if i change that it goes and recalculates all of these other things and does all this you know which is an unmaintainable big ball of mud and yeah. you know there's there's it's- no there's no easy way to define the line between between where you yeah. step over and it becomes yeah. Don't do that. Right that with code. Lego bricks. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It, absolutely. You know, you, you, it's just like you tread carefully. Put push push your foot out just in front yeah. of you. Just to, and I think that that is the again that feeds back into this idea that what we're looking for is 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 an approach, a, a philosophical um, approach, but a practical approach. I mean, it, it, you know, I'm definitely of the school of thought that. Um, uh, I guess old school philosophy in the sense that philosophy was intended to be a practical thing to, yeah. to help you understand life it was not intended to be abstract and disconnected from life it, it was intended to be quite the opposite so for me this idea of actually what we want from how we think about software we need a, we need to understand is like yeah it's a bit experimental um, there's, 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 there's things that are unknown and actually not only is that okay but that's actually part of the job it's not just acceptable no it is the job it is the job yeah it is the job yeah so 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 i i've i'm i've just become aware of the time we've the, the amount of time so we were been, talking about time been, and now we're aware of it it's yes. it's been so, so so much fun having the conversation but let's try and let's try and round this off so 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 if you if you could <laughs> if you could summarize this <laughs> what's what's the advice what do you think of, is the advice that we should give people to help walk this top walk this tightrope explore you know walk into the into your room of lego with with, with bare feet yeah well i guess i guess the simple one is run away um but, uh, <laughs> uh, that's the only um i think it's really to to understand that um what the, the challenge is that you are um the challenge and the joy let's 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 let, i think we're all we're always putting up challenges i think we ought to need to accept that sometimes the challenge is the fun bit um you know it it has two two aspects to it the challenge and the fun is that you are working with incomplete knowledge there is a joy to learning something and there can also be a joy in discovering um better solutions alternative solutions um penny dropping moments where you go you know what i've been thinking about this wrong and you know yes Yes. i've over abstracted this really is just a string 
the yeah. abstractions I wanted to do are over here. This those, is, are the, this those is, are the points that I love. Those are oh shit, I was thinking of it wrong, and now I can see a new new path. Those are yeah. the things. Yeah, and it's a case of like, oh, I've, I've been devoting my effort to this, but actually the fun is over here. If I reframe the problem, in other words, it's that idea of uh, take a step back. Um, and I think a little bit, a little bit, um, something. I keep meaning to do a talk called Slow Agile. I'm, I think I'm probably going to do it at this point. Um, but it's it's this idea that although we often use the language of fast in connection with many of our practices, um, I think sometimes there's a different emphasis I might want to give, which is um, uh, that some of what we're trying to do is to do things sooner as opposed to faster, which is not quite the same thing. Yes, I use the phrase, I, th I think that my, what you might be saying is the phrase that I use is small steps. Uh, yeah, and that uh, small steps are a way of achieving, and, and it's yeah. the idea of, and I was just talking to a group today about um, refactoring. I was trying to emphasize to them you know in terms of all the design practices and so on i said there's a difference between um uh, running and walking and there's a very simple idea that running is defined by the fact that at various points you have zero points of contact with the ground um, yeah you know, if you if you watch somebody running it's zero one zero one if you watch somebody walking it's one two one two there is always at least one point of contact with the ground and there uh, and and now, what does this mean? It means you it means you move from moment to moment more slowly, but you are also moving with more um, certainty and more sureness and the ability to change your direction. If you try changing your direction when you are running or when you stumble when you're running, and yeah. I have relatively recent personal experience of this, <laughs> and I can say it hurt an awful lot and I was not able to walk for a few weeks. Whereas had I had that, had I had that fall when I was walking, I'd have just got up and walked off. Um, the point there is that it, it, software development is not a race. We, although we use the language of fast, the timescales we're thinking of, it, sometimes it, it, does, it, it encourages the wrong behavior, I think. Yes. It's, again, one of those things when what I use a word and somebody else picks up, oh, they're talking about raw speed. Actually, we're not trying to optimize for speed of development. There's other characters. What we observe is the speed of development or is speed yes. of deployment. But the thing, you, it, it's not pedal to the metal. You're just going to exhaust all your developers. Um and exhaust their capacity to think creatively. It's the idea that actually what we need to be doing is, is walking. Um, it is the idea of stability. It's the idea of like, oh, that's not right. Let me just pull back a moment. It's the small steps. It's the let's roll back and take a different path. Whether we whether that rollback is a version control rollback, whether that rollback is a conceptual rollback, wh whatever yes. it means, it's the idea that we have given ourselves the opportunity to pay attention to what we're doing. When you're when you are when you are moving at high speed, you're not paying attention to your surroundings. Yes. All of this talk of feedback just disappears in the wind. The whole point is you are sensing your way and that you are adjusting according to that, you know, and it's your feet on the carpet type thing, you know, it's, it's, it's the sensing your way. How are we doing? Is this the, I originally intended this, but now I see this. Ah, why? Because I can, because I've taken the time to do that. I'm not, you know, individually as a human being, remember, it's all about people ultimately. Yeah me to appreciate which formal approach i'm going to take which structure which choices uh, which modules i am going to select or my criteria for modularity which ones i'm going to do here as uh, as opposed to there that's going to take a deliberation that doesn't happen when you're exhausted and running at speed it's not a productivity yes. conversation so i think for me most of the advice i give people is just like honestly go a little bit slower because you'll go faster you know it's, it's, yes. it's one of those. <laughs>
That's great. No, that 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 that, uh, that absolutely. Uh, I hadn't thought of it in those words, which is always which is always interesting, always an interesting thing, but still was was still reinforcing my prejudices. So 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 good both ways around. <laughs> you gave me some new things to think about, uh, and uh, and reinforced my prejudices, which is great. I, I've really enjoyed the, the the talk today. Thank you so much for for taking. Oh, thank you, Dave. It was uh, great. It, it was a fun exploration. Um, uh, please do check out Ke Kevlin. Check his Google unique unique name. You'll find it. You'll find his stuff, um, uh, and uh, lots of good books that Kevlin's written as well. So, thanks, Kevlin, very much indeed. Uh, and uh, I'll let you know when the video is available. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much, Dave. That's pleasure.